0: You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Today on the podcast, we're going to be learning how to use S. effectively and within the guidelines. Area sales manager from Syngenta Crop Protection for the Northern Commercial Unit, Tim Fraser, will join us to tell us about this. And we'll also be hearing from Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development grain researcher Martin Harries about a six year focus paddock he has led. Peter, you and my co host, does join me. How are you going, Pete?
1: Yeah, very well, Jess. How are
0: you? I'm good. Now, this is our last podcast together for a few weeks because you're going away, which is really exciting. Where are you off to?
1: We are going to go to Broome, Jess. My wife bumped into someone at the photocopy the other day who said that they were going to Broome and we've decided to follow them. So I'm going to drive up there, Yeah, trying to get my head around all the kilometres, but yeah. Be good going up to the warmer climes and seeing a bit of that countryside. Yeah, for those
0: That's who are beautiful. not familiar with WA, just give a bit of perspective of how far Broome is away. from Yeah, you Broome want. is
1: about well, it's about two thousand k drive north of Geraldton. So even further if you live in Perth, it's a little jutty out bit on the near the top <laughs> <laughs> of, of Western Australia. There's a Cape Lavique is the point, and Broome is sort of at the Base of Cape Levique so yeah we'll try and pop up to Cape Levique as well and have a look around should be
0: good. Very cool that's on my list to go to Broome I haven't been there yet either but I'd like to go so I hope you have a yep. good time and I'll, I'll steal all your tips when you're back.
1: Yeah I think it's the new barley at the moment a lot of people used to go to Broome when before barley was a big thing and now that they can't go to barley I think people start going back up there yeah. and what about you jess uh any exciting plans
0: i'm not going as far away as you pete i'm just going to the southwest pemberton and Busselton area in the southwest of western australia but i'm really looking forward to getting out of the city and uh, yeah getting a bit in touch with nature doing some hikes and, and seeing my friend who lives down in bustleton so that'll be nice fantastic Now, we've got a pretty exciting podcast today. We are going to be kicking off with an interview from Martin Harries. Now, the survey work Martin Harries did, he collected data from 184 paddocks spanning 14 million hectares of cropping land in Western Australia. And that was all made possible with DPIRD and GRDC investment and the collaboration of 13 farming groups. Now, Pete, you recently did an RE Insight on this work as well. And you were quite excited about the results. Can you just give us a little bit of an overview? On your take of
1: the findings? Yeah, it's a pretty amazing effort. Uh, the backstory story is I have a focus paddock project and I just measured rye grass and that was it. And then I think um, talking to Marty and GRDC back at the time when he was looking into this one, they, they liked the focus paddock concept and wanted to do it in more detail. And Marty got into it and, Gee, didn't he do a good job? He, what was it, 184 paddocks yeah. all over the state, measuring not only weeds but a whole heap of other things as well, and producing this absolute monster database of of information over six years. So, just a huge effort by him and, and his team to to take on this this uh, focus paddock survey, Jess, and and yeah, found really positive results for the weeds. That's the encouraging thing for us.
0: Yeah, excellent. All right, well, let's get the details from Martin Harrys now and take a listen. In this interview, we're going to be chatting with Deeperd grain researcher Martin Harries about a six-year focus paddock survey he led. The survey collated data from 184 paddocks spanning 14 million hectares of cropping land in Western Australia. It was all made possible with a Deeperd and GRDC investment and the collaboration of 13 farming groups, including the Facey Leave, McGinney Irwin Groups and WANFA. Martin has recently published the weeds aspect of this research as part of his PhD and reported that we're having some great success with weed control in Western Australia. So we're going to find out some more information about this and Martin does join us. How are you going Martin? Yeah good thanks Jess, really well. Thanks for joining us. Now, let's get into the details of this EPIC study, as Peter Newman described it in the R-Insight that he wrote. How did the concept of this study come about?
2: So we had, uh, I guess, persevered with quite a lot of small plot trials looking at the uh, use of break crops in rotations. And although we were able to demonstrate that break crops could improve wheat yields, uh, in the small plot trials and a lot of research had been invested into these break crops, the area had grown to them wasn't increasing. It was actually uh, declining. So we decided to expand our research from the small plots to include a paddock survey type approach.
0: Okay, excellent. And so it was mentioned in the introduction there that there were some really positive results. What were some of these core findings that you, that you found?
2: Okay, so uh, – With respect to the weeds, I guess the key finding was that we're in general in WA cropping systems having a a big win against the uh, weeds despite the increase in herbicide resistance as the years have gone on. Our results showed that in 72% of paddocks there were less than 10 grass weeds in autumn and that was despite us finding that in 92% of paddocks the ryegrass was resistant to at least one herbicide. So farmers were doing a great job of uh, controlling those weeds and in 16% of paddocks there were no weeds at all so it was a a pleasant surprise I guess to me to see the very low numbers of weeds and as an example one of the paddocks that we monitored at Ringinu, the hectare area that we monitored we didn't find any weeds for the entire survey so it was was a pretty amazing yeah finding really.
0: Yeah that's awesome Um, and so when it came to herbicide usage what did you find there?
2: So again interesting of course herbicides are You know, a major part of weed control and on average there were 6.3 herbicide applications made for each paddock in each year and that uh, amounted to 5.6 different active ingredients applied per paddock uh, each year. So yeah, it was a, a reasonable range of herbicides being used with 45 different active ingredients recorded across the the study and a wide range of mixes so 369 different tank mixes so just a few yes lots yeah so pretty encouraging from the i guess herbicide resistance perspective that people were using a a reasonably diverse range of herbicides so you know a, a great way to slow herbicide resistance i guess while there was a lot of diversity in the tank mixes There were a few herbicides that were quite commonly used, as you probably would expect. So, glyphosate, trifluralin, MCPA, paraquat, and trisulfuron were still being used quite a bit. So, so they were the main ones, and glyphosate was being used when it was used. Twenty percent of the time it was used as a single active and that increased 45% of the time on canola because of the Roundup Ready canola that's being used. So I guess some really good stuff there on the herbicides, a lot, lot of different herbicides being used, but I guess just need to keep an eye on those major herbicide groups and how they're being used.
0: Definitely, and Martin, one of the exciting initiatives of your research was the creation of the Integrated Weed Management Index, and this was used to compare the level of diverse weed control tactics between 528 paddock years. Can you just go into some detail about how this tool worked and assisted in your research?
2: I guess it's a bit of a mouthful, the index, but basically we wanted a a way of evaluating the amount of effort that people were putting into their integrated weed management. So we took the default settings from the RIM model and used those to, I guess, to make make the index, put some numbers to the weed control that people were using. And by doing that, we added up all of the different weed control methods, the integrated weed control methods, and gave them a number so that we could compare that number against the weed populations within the paddock.
0: Okay that makes sense and so your research assessed what weed control tactics were most prominent in Western Australia. What topped the list?
2: So I guess the herbicides were obviously frequently used and they're still probably the you know the main tool and even even with the integrated weed management strategies the crop topping and pasture topping were major uh, tools there as well so uh, even with the integrated weed management strategies herbicides were, were involved but Integrated weed management was having a a good effect. So we found that uh, if you were using a lower level of integrated weed management, you were three times more likely to have grass weeds above 75 plants per square metre in autumn, so high numbers of weeds. Whereas on the opposite side, if you were using a a high level of integrated weed management, you generally had low weed numbers. It was also possible, there were results in there that also showed that with a low level of integrated weed management, we had low weed numbers and that could have been because I guess of good herbicide control I guess and or because the uh, seed bank may have been very low from earlier sort of efforts with integrated weed management. So uh, I guess the herbicides and the integrated weed management combined together to make a pretty strong combination.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so we've covered a lot of ground going over some of the highlights of this research. Are there any other comments or anecdotes you wanted to share with listeners about this massive research project that you undertook?
2: I guess a lot of those weed management tools were quite strongly linked to the rotation of the paddock and what crops and pastures were being used. So the herbicides that could be used and the integrated weed management strategies that we used were strongly linked to uh, the crop or pasture. And We showed in the northern agricultural region where the herbicide resistance frequency was highest that there's been a, a strong sort of change out of pastures and crops with, I guess, less effective weed control through to other crops, so an increase in canola production Uh, and an increase in weed. So people were uh, selecting their rotations. It, it, It appeared from our data that people were selecting their rotations based on weed control, and they were very intolerant of high weed numbers. So I guess that poses a few questions. Obviously, we need to look at other aspects of the farming system, apart from weeds, and just see if the weed control measures particularly those changes in rotations are having an impact on other things such as um, soil fertility or plant pathogens and an obvious one there is just we've had a lot of uh, legumes not being sown so an obvious question there is what impact is that having on the nitrogen balancing in the paddocks and that's some of the work that we plan to do next.
0: Yeah, very exciting. Well, Martin, thank you so much for going over your research in the podcast format. If people would like to read the RE Insight on this work, I'll provide the link to that as well with the podcast notes and you can get a little bit more detail on this research. But, yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us.
2: Yep, no problem at all. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much to Martin Harries there for giving us an overview of that massive focus paddock study that he conducted. Pete, what were some of the key takeaways for you from his research?
1: Yeah, a couple of things, Jess. I mean, there's so much you could talk about. I really enjoyed hearing that there's 6.3 herbicide applications per paddock per year on average, which is really good for that mix and rotate herbicide message that we talk about a lot. Um, Shows that it's being used. And also, I really loved the IWM index. So, they created an index, as he said, the more sort of diverse weed management you use, the higher index rating you got. And it showed a really good correlation with how people are going with weed numbers. So, people that had a high index always had low weed numbers. So, I really, yeah, I really loved their approach there, Marty's approach there to to develop that index and then correlate that with real life data about how those farmers are going with their weeds and really just obviously confirming that we're on the right track with all this advice that we talk about with the big six, Jess, but also that the, the farmers that are doing it are having a win.
0: Yeah, that's awesome and great to hear. Really good, positive results. And I'll put the RE Insight link in the show notes. And you can access the Weed Smart Big Six from our Weed Smart homepage. So if you haven't checked out the Big Six, make sure you check it out because it does have all those herbicide and non herbicide tactics that you can implement on your farm. But Pete, changing gears, we'll move on to our next interview for the podcast today. We're going to be chatting with Tim Fraser about Esmetodoclaw, our northern extension agronomist paul mcintosh raised this topic as an important one to cover what's your take on why it's important for growers to get their head around how to utilize eschatolic law
1: yeah jess uh, look i don't know a huge amount about that northern cropping system but my understanding is is the farmers don't really like using pre-em herbicides up there because things can change quickly with a rainfall event and they don't like to get locked into a rotation and so pre-emergent herbicides aren't really commonly used but they are enormously powerful tools and as they get resistance to a lot of their knockdown and post-M herbicides they really are going to need to learn to use the pre-Ms and it seems my understanding is that eschatolichlor is one herbicide which really fits the system well, does a good job on a range of their grasses and also is tolerated by quite a few of their crops so they can use it safely knowing that if they do change rotation plans because the of a rainfall event or something, that they can switch to another crop. So that's my understanding. I hope I've got that right, that esmentolichlor is quite an adaptable product for those farmers, uh, kills their weeds and, and suits a lot of their crops.
0: Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, let's hear from Tim and get the rundown on how to use this herbicide within the guidelines. Let's take a listen. Today we're chatting with Area Sales Manager at Syngenta Crop Protection for the Northern Commercial Unit, Tim Fraser, about s and how to use it effectively and within the guidelines. Tim does join us. Before we get into the interview, how are you?
3: I'm going well, thanks Jess. Nothing a bit of rain wouldn't fix.
0: That's good to hear. And before we get into the questions about Metolaclaw, could you tell us a little bit about your role and where you're based?
3: Yeah, sure. So, As you mentioned, I'm an area sales manager within Syngenta for the Northern Commercial Unit. Northern Commercial Unit goes from basically from Dubbo uh, up and includes the Northern Territory as well. I'm based in Chinchilla in southern Queensland, just two hours west of Toowoomba for those listeners that need to get their bearings geography-wise. So it's my role within Syngenta. I've got a, a team of seven TSMs within all Territory sales managers within that group that look after the individual regions. And then also the pleasure of farming as well. I'm part of a family farming operation, both cropping and grazing, based around Chinchilla and up at Wandon where I originally grew up.
0: Awesome. Now, Tim, we're going to go into a bit of a deep dive on S-metallic law today. But before we do that, can you just maybe explain why this is an important one to get your head around?
3: Yeah, sure. So s active ingredient, I guess, is getting a lot more use around some of these hard-to-kill weeds, particularly Feathertop Rhodes grass, with some new registrations that we'll get into later. It's a pre-em herbicide um, or pre-emergent herbicide. And pre-emergence inherently can be tricky because you can't actually see what they're doing for you um, once you apply them. All their work is done under the soil and particularly with dual golds or S-metalliclaws activity before the weed emerges. So, yeah, really... I guess, new use patterns to understand and and to get our head around where we're not actually seeing the actual chemistry doing the work on top of the dirt.
0: And so where does it fit exactly into the range of herbicides that are available?
3: Sure. So it's a Group K herbicide, and as I mentioned, it's a pre-M herbicide for resistance management. There aren't a lot of Group K herbicides that we use in our systems, but it still needs to be kept in mind with regards to resistance management, particularly with our grasses. Uh, They seem to be the ones that we end up, I guess building resistance to very, very quickly. They're prevalent, they're prevalent seeders, and yes, Metallic Law is another tool in the toolbox that we can start to use to combat those weeds. So,
0: how does this active actually work?
3: Okay, so as I mentioned, it's a pre-em, so it it needs to work in the soil. So, you spray it onto a fallow or or post-plant pre-emergent. There's a few use patterns that we can use it in, but basically, it needs incorporation into the soil. Two to three centimetres is ideal. That incorporation needs to happen within ten days of, of application, either mechanical incorporation or rainfall. It's a reasonably soluble product in terms of its inherent traits, so it doesn't need a lot of rainfall to get into that band and do its work there. So that's where it does its best work. And as I mentioned before, it's a it's a grass dominant herbicide so it's really really good on on grasses part of the reason for that is how it gets into the grass is actually through the coleoptile as the grass shoots so it has no effect on emerged grasses or any uptake through the leaf but as a coleoptile, or as that grass emerges or germinates if you've got that band of dual gold in solution in the soils a couple of centimeters underneath you'll get a really really good result with dual gold There is a little bit of root uptake, so we do have some broadleaf weeds on the dual gold label, but predominantly it's through the coleoptile uptake for grass weed control.
0: Okay, makes sense. And there have been some changes to the registration of dual gold. What's changed there? Yeah,
3: so we've had some... uh work done on on use patterns somewhat was driven by the market in terms of i mentioned fellatop roads grass earlier it's a prevalent weed it's becoming a big issue in our zero till farming systems so we've got a, a fallow registration now so a fallow registration where you can use dual gold up to two liters maximum in that fallow season if you like primarily for that purpose we're seeing fellatop germinate even under really cool conditions, unfortunately, top doesn't need a lot of moisture to germinate. We're seeing germinations in July, and the traditional use pattern for s or jewel gold was much later as we get into the cropping season. So we've got another tool there in our fallows. We've also got our traditional use pattern, which is post-plant, pre-emergent. And I say post-plant. If you think about putting a sheet of paper over your soil, that's basically your protection of your s or dual gold. If you put it on pre-plant, When you come through with your planting operation, you can disturb that band or that layer and you can get some weed escapes coming through. So generally what we see is best results post-plant, pre-emergent, so spraying it after you've planted, before the crop emerges to get that really nice even band uh, in the soil. We've also then got the new addition is is a post-emergent application for sorghum crops where you can put it on over the top of your sorghum and look to control weeds that haven't emerged which is really critical to remember you don't get any foliar uptake by this product it'll only work on weeds that haven't or grasses that, that haven't emerged really good thing to remember is not to go any later than the sixth leaf stage and, and i suppose i'll put in here a caveat with all these things is please read the label they're a legal documents. so go and have a check of the label if you're concerned or looking at these new use patterns and, and timings mm-hmm. and then the third one jess is over the top of cotton so we've had a cotton registration for dual gold as a pre-emergent product or post-plant pre-emergent interesting with cotton just to, to again check your label rates but cotton is a maximum of one liter in a season so whether that's um, pre-emergent ore over the top, and the, the parameters around over the top of cotton are from the the 4 to 18 node window is what you've got to apply it across there. So it's sort of three new use patterns for it. So again, just to reiterate, infallot control over the top of sorghum and also over the top of cotton. One thing I, I would really like to reiterate is with sorghum. So I mentioned this is a really good grass product, sorghum being a grass parentage. Um, we need to make sure we've got a seed safener. On the sorghum seed because jewel is toxic to sorghum. The product out at the present that St. Jenna have is called Concept Two. We need to make sure that is on there before you put any jewel, or if you plan to put jewel across the top or as a pre-emergent with your with your sorghum.
0: Great advice. And in terms of s fitting into a mixed farming operation especially when animals are grazing on crops what advice do you have there Tim?
3: Yeah so we're seeing a lot more I guess as beef production kicks in and and obviously wanting to get the best feed value and and grow high bulk crops um, for the pasture or for, for silage even or for grazing. We're seeing more tendency I suppose to try and, and keep grasses out of those paddocks. It's the same sort of thing if you're looking at a silage sorghum or a forage sorghum, Concept 2 treated. If you're going to look to apply dual gold, just remember there's quite an extensive withholding period for grazing so that you don't go over your MOLs with regards to your beef production. So it's up to 13 weeks. Again, this information is on the label. I will add in there, we do have another product, or there is another product on the market called Prime Extra Gold. It has esematolic law in that as well as, uh, atrazine, and there's a 28-day grazing withholding period on that product.
0: Okay, that's good information to be on top of. And Tim, there's a potential for a new sorghum seed safener for 2021. What do growers need to know about this product?
3: Yeah, so as I mentioned, dual gold, this metallic law, is actually toxic to sorghum. If you plant your sorghum without the seed safener on it, then, yeah, then you'll, you'll get significant damage. And the way dual works is it, it basically prevents cell expansion uh, within the plant, and you'll see um, your sorghum seedlings, if they emerge, coming up and they'll be twisted and distorted. So what Concept2 does, the product that's in the market at present, is, is basically helps the emerging sorghum plant to metabolise the s law, gives it basically a boost in the arm, doesn't stop the the plant taking the s law in, it does give it the ability to metabolise it and get it out of the system and continue to grow on. So a couple of things with that, obviously, if the plant's not metabolising properly actively growing for example due to water logging or moisture stress and that can affect the plant's ability to metabolize the dual gold or less metallic or and therefore you can still end up with some damage under those conditions so it's not a not a, a fail safe solution but it is a very good solution under most growing conditions so you mentioned the new product coming through or the new safener will be a product that we're looking to launch for the 21-22 season it'll be called the PVOC. It'll be a liquid instead of a powder formulation that the current Concept 2 is in. A couple of traits with the PVOC is that it does have some improved seed safety, so it will help to metabolise that s law more efficiently, I suppose. One other downside, I guess, with Concept 2 treated seed is that it can affect germination for the subsequent planting operation, so if you end up with seed left over, this season and you want to use it next season, it's really strongly advised that you get germination and bigger tests on that seed if it's been treated with concept two. A PVOC will have less impact on that uh, carryover seed and that should be a good win for both farmers and the uh, industry.
0: Right. And, Tim, final question for you. Obviously, everyone's pretty aware of wanting to ensure the efficacy of herbicide products into the future. What are the resistance concerns with S-Metalaclor?
3: Yeah, really good question, a really important question. As I mentioned, it's a Group K herbicide. It has a, a relatively low risk of resistance build-up, but I've just mentioned we've got three new use patterns as well. Mm. Um, so there's potential for more of the product to be used. So we go back to our our, our usual principles, you know, rotation. Um, if you're on a good thing, don't stick to it. And I like to think of it about, a you know, a plan, do, review situation, build your plans, and you've got an extra tool, I guess, with regards to your fallow particularly when we're starting to look after our grasses, as I mentioned, barnyard grass, summer grass, liver seed grass, top roads grass. These guys can build resistance and build it quickly. So plan your rotations. Use your pre herbicides. s order isn't the only one that's in our toolkit for fallow control. Rotate that around. With S-Metallical, you have a six-month plant back to to anything, any crops that aren't on the label. So it's not an extensive plant back. So it does give you some flexibility to use in your programs. Put your program in place. We all know the plans (laughs) go out the window very quickly. Put your program in place or, or do what you need to do for your crop. Once a crop's in the ground or off, review what you plan to do or review what you've actually done and start to build your plans for the next year so that we're not just getting the same groups applied on that same bit of dirt year in, year out. Um, It's about the best advice I can give on that one, Jess.
0: Yeah, great advice, Tim. And before we wrap things up, is there anything else you wanted to mention on this topic that we haven't covered yet?
3: No, not really. I think we've got some new use patterns like other chemistry coming out in the market. There's some really good pre em herbicides coming out, not just for summer crop, but also for winter crop. And I think general principles is it's a number game with our herbicides or with our weed control. Let's keep building these toolkits or tools in our kit and, and keep using them responsibly.
0: Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Tim. We really appreciate you taking the time.
3: No, it was a pleasure, Jess. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much to Tim Fraser there. And, Pete, Tim really stressed when we were chatting that it was essential to ensure growers are reading the labels on all of the products they're using and to use them within the guidelines. And there's a few reasons, obviously, for that. Uh, One is obviously making sure you're using the product properly and within those legal guidelines. But, uh, Pete, why else is it important to really kind of look at uh, how you're using a product and, you know, ensuring that it's, it's not being used by itself and you're rotating? What are some of the things that you would? would
1: suggest to growers to be on top of when using esmetolical Yeah I guess the risk is here Jess is that esmetolical is proving popular and uh, farmers are having a win with it so there's that temptation to over rely on one product and so yeah I guess looking for that other mixing partner that other pre-em to mix with or making sure that we have those double knocks in place so where you've used a product like esmetolical pre what is a a post-emergent herbicide option that you can use and what is some non-herbicide tools that can help it. Particularly, I mean, crop competition always helps pre em herbicides and all herbicides, harvest weed seed control that we talk about, but whatever else we can bring in to uh, come in as a backup uh, weed control strategy following that pre to ensure that any resistant survivors are controlled
0: yes certainly and yeah like we said earlier make sure you check out the weed smart big six if you haven't already or just like refresh your memory there might be something that you know has popped up that you could maybe look at implementing that you didn't think was possible on your property a few years back so check it out but pete that is all of the podcast today we've done our two interviews thank you to martin harrys and tim fraser once again i just do have a reminder that we are still doing the regional update weed smart podcast so that goes out every monday and And this week we heard from Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development's Alex Douglas and she spoke on the weed matricaria, which is proving to be making an unwelcome comeback in parts of WA. So if you're interested in that topic, definitely check it out. And next Monday we'll be chatting with Neil Durning. So Neil Durning, he's from Riverina Independent Agronomy and in conjunction with FarmLink and GRDC, he's hosting a field day today discussing the state of play of glyphosate-resistant ryegrass. So he will be giving us an update on and an overview next Monday on how that day went and giving a bit of an overview on the topic of glyphosate resistant ryegrass and another thing is the weed smart whip around which is our blog that is also out this week so if you're not subscribed you can just jump on the weed smart website and you can subscribe to the weed smart whip around which just lets you know all of our latest content including articles and case studies we've got a new case study on Andrew and Josie Bate which is a really great one to get your head around so yeah make sure you're checking out the weed smart website and uh also subscribing to our blog the weed smart week around which comes into your email every month i'll provide the all the links in the show notes pete but thank you so much for joining me for the podcast and i hope you have an awesome trip
1: thanks jess and and you too enjoy your hiking mm. and um, yeah let's hope this rain keeps falling
0: Yes, definitely. Fingers crossed for that. We'll catch you in, in a couple of weeks' time for the next Weed Smart podcast. Our Southern Extension Acronomist will be our guest co-host, Greg Condon. He'll be joining us for that one. So make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on your app of choice so you don't miss it. Thanks, Pete.
1: Thanks, Jess.